You're listening to the Green Majority Radio Show. Hope you enjoy this week as much as we enjoyed producing it for you. Uh, we have a discussion today that varies into wild wide variety of topics, but uh, bumps into uh, emotions and freedom of speech, all sorts of things. Very exciting, and uh, I, I think. Despite all the bad news, I, I ended up feeling po- net positive after today's show. I hope you feel the same way. If you support the show, if you like what you're hearing, you want to hear more of it, you want us to be maybe a little bit more organized or a little bit more prepared, there's a way you can actually do that. You can become a Green Majority member uh, by giving us the resources to actually be able to properly produce the show, which is uh, get people to help out, uh, maybe hire some uh, technical production, that sort of thing. Uh, we will uh, actually be able to improve the show. So you can do that by going to greenmajority.ca uh, and uh, clicking on the sign up button, or you can just go straight to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash green majority and sign up and be a member today listening to the green majority there we are you're listening to the green majority on ciut 89.5 fm we have a show today about largely about just very emotional a lot of emotions stefan i feel like i feel like today is about today's show is almost like about emotions because we're going to talk about people in a variety of different contexts and and for a variety of different validities i mean for lack of a more (laughs) polite way to say it um people who believe things very strongly and and these conflicting sets of beliefs, I think, as a general theme, uh, is increasingly, as we're seeing, creating more uh, more tense conversations. Um, and and I wish I could tell you that the show was about how, how to solve that, but I'll just warn you now so you don't get let down later. We don't have the answer, mm. but uh, the interview who's at the end of the show may have part of an answer. May have at least a way to address it. If nothing else, it will make you feel better because it gives you a way to fight back in some small degree. We're going to be uh, at the very end of the show talking to Nathan Glenn Phillips, who's a professor from Boston University Department of Earth and Environment. Uh, and, and we're going to ask him why he's now been in the news for spending time on Breitbart. That is my teaser. Ah. I will leave it there. Uh, but he has been and he has important things to say about it. And it may provide you at least an outlet, if not hope. But before we get that, uh, I have a bunch of news I've looked at, and uh, but uh, recently we've been letting Stefan go first, so I'm just going to hand it over to Stefan here now. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so my, my the beginning of my uh, piece, shall we say, uh, begins with a tweet uh, from Eric Holthaus or Holthaus. I feel like it's probably German, mm. um, so I feel like it's probably a harder T, but I to be honest, I don't know. Um, but it, was, it starts with this idea of uh, and the tweet is pretty simple. It started. It was a short thread uh, posted last week about how this 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 guy he's a he's a he's a person working on his eleventh year working on climate change, uh, including his last four in daily journalism. Uh, and the tweet display says, "And today I went to see a counselor about it." And I think and what hit what's interesting is that the thread then goes on to talk about in in you know in different terms, but essentially the existential crisis of being an environmentalist right now. You know, we've talked about the existential crisis that 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 climate change, fa- uh, you know, conjures uh, in in us as as a whole, just due to to its scope 
of, uh, of, 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 of danger to the, to the world. But this is a much more personal existential crisis. And I think that's just as equally important to talk, to talk about. And it's, I'm going to use that sort of as a, as a way to talk about two different uh, stories. Because as an environmentalist, when you're sort of facing climate change, I feel like you end up with sort of two ways of understanding or two major ways, at least in, of interacting with government and, and, and lobbying government, uh, of ways to sort of begin uh, our mitigation process. And those are basically, you know, regulation, like direct regulating uh, of of how much of, of different, you know, carbon prices or not, not, not carbon prices specifically, but you know, uh, of how much can go in the air, of, of you know, cars can emit this much, et cetera, et cetera, like direct regulation. And the other is more sort of shaping policy, policy that more shapes and guides uh, the country. So that's where I put a carbon price. I put a carbon price in that kind of policy versus regulation. And I think at this current moment. We're sort of seeing that dichotomy, especially in the international scale, and, and two the, these two stories are, are largely tied to the United States, but I don't think I don't think are necessarily don't only exist there. But I think we've, we're seeing that these both avenues being attacked uh, on either side, um, and so the first story is 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 this is this. Volkswagen executive uh, was charged on Monday with a conspiracy to defraud the United States. Uh, and this is just the next chapter uh, in this ongoing uh, scandal uh, over the fact that Volkswagen basically, cr- basically intentionally uh, created a system to avoid and cheat emission tests. Um, and it's 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 been going on and on. It's just years in the making. And and they and they spent they used they used a rig a cheating device used to rig U.S. diesel emissions tests from 2006 through 2015. So this is going on for nine years. So here's you know the United States thinking it's successfully regulated uh, an industry that is reducing its emissions and and then and then after nine years of doing this oh wait th- we've been intentionally defrauding you this entire time can I just I want to point something out really quickly yeah. before we move on um, think about for a minute so this involved uh, developing or at the, at the very minimum mass producing but probably had to develop, require some development of a piece of technology that would then be mass produced and mass installed for nine years how sure were they? This is what's really interesting that, about this story. How sure were they that they would never get caught? Like this would obviously, but here's the thing: I don't think, obviously be a major scandal. Oh yeah, and I don't think they ever. I, this is what's fascinating about you know capitalism in general. I think they knew they would get caught, right? Because what's interesting about this is I, I think it was Ford, and I may be wrong about this. There's a story from many years ago. I think it was Ford, but I'm, I'm going to admit that it is a car, a American car manufacturer uh, realized that one of its uh, one of its uh, cars were was I think exploded or something. There's like it was like one of these cars basically was was so defunct. Like one in one hundred thousand car of these cars was so defunct that it was going to cause injury and death. Um, and and they had a meeting where they decided if they should tell everyone or not. And they basically came to the discussion that it was cheaper to not tell anyone and pay all the wrongful death suits than to pay anyone. Well, some of the comedy shows pointed out that uh, that they had a list of words that their employees were banned from using yeah. when discussing the cars, including maiming. Uh, like, it was really terrible. <laughs> yeah. It, it, was, it was fodder for comedy shows for weeks, despite its horrific, the horrific nature of the story. Well, and, and, and I think that speaks to what I, I again, I, I, I'm not, I haven't followed, I haven't followed Volkswagen's pieces enough to, to, to know that everything I want here, but I, I, it would not surprise me if they knew they'd get caught. And that wasn't the conversation. I think what's interesting to me is that they kept going on with this piece of technology that would cheat the system when they could use that those minds that are cheating to create a technology that actually just reduces greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, 
why do you continue to manufacture the same thing over and over again for nine years when you can I maybe they did a cost analysis and there you go maybe it's cheaper to just keep lying than to yeah and, and we should of course because I neglected to introduce that you were here in the beginning of the show the disembodied voice is Sabina who people <laughs> have been listening to the show for a little while may may recognize as well um, so if you hear that voice jump in again that's Sabina she'll be around today sorry about that um, but yeah and so this so it's, it's Oliver Schmidt uh, and what's interesting about Oliver Schmidt is that he only ran the this part of VW that like the, the compliance part for the last year basically before they got caught. Um, and yet he's still, yeah, and yet he's the one facing charges. There might be some others, but he's the he's the one they're talking that was charged on Monday. Um, and 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 you know it's going to cost them a, a pretty penny. It's it's between four, it's between a three to four billion dollars uh, settlement. That's the estimate it hasn't been fully nailed down yet. Um, but so what's interesting about this is that. So this was a huge scandal. It's been going on for many, many years. And then just, just this week, you think, you'd think that with, that with all of this sort of stuff, you know, maybe – and again, if, if they, if maybe they would realize they'd get caught. Uh, but maybe that also doesn't matter because Fiat Chrysler, which this, early this week, was accused by the US EPA again for doing pretty much the same thing. You know, the cheating on its diesel emission testing by using a secret software applications in multiple models. And so this is not again this is no longer just Volkswagen being the being the being the sort of the you know the bad egg. This is this is now a second major car company that has been flaunt flaunting their disrespect to to simple regulation. This isn't, you know, this isn't a question of uh you know, of you can't make cars. This is, you know, a uh, a diesel reg- uh, regulation on diesel cars about how much their emissions can be, and at some point you're just sort of like, you know, we're already looking at like they already they literally just watched Volkswagen go through the ringer, and yet you know there's studies that say that Volkswagen's still trusted by two thir- two thirds of, of of all Germans. So maybe what we're really telling all these companies is that they can 100 percent ignore regulations, pay our fines, and then and then go back to being exactly the same because apparently there's no one goes like nothing happens. You know, even if this guy goes to jail for you know for fraud. Given that I, I don't, I don't trust the next big board meeting to have a conversation, be like, and and and, and worry about this this much. You know, it's, it's, it's the it's cost of doing. Them. It's the cost of doing business to some extent, yeah. Um, and so that's the so that's, that's the one side of the ex- this existential crisis, right? This is the side where you know you can fight and fight and fight to get a regulation passed and improve regulations, and then it seems as if we've just decided that if you have enough money to pay this large enough fine. It, it's not going to hurt you. You know, we're not, no one's stopping. It, it appears at least no one's really, you know, Volkswagen's is not going under because of this. I would be blown away if Fiat Chrysler really, you know, was, was damaged specifically by this. I'd honestly be surprised if you don't see something soon where, you know, the U.S. gives more money to Fiat Chrysler to keep 25 jobs in Michigan. You know, I like, I, it's just, it's, it's, we're proving again and again that regulation is, is great if it's enforceable. And if it's not enforceable, then, then regulation is useless. Um, so that's part one of the existential crisis. Uh, as we said, this is not going to be a happy show. Um, we can still use our happy voices. That is true. Um, and, but part two is actually how uh, is, is how it end, Eric Kulthaus ends his, or, or right near the end of his sort of little, his little tweet storm or whatever you call these things, um, which is that He's talking sort of about this fact that like this despair is, is natural and there's an objective evidence that shared existential problem we're not addressing adequately. And you know, we all feel alone because here we are trying to, trying to deal with this. And he gets this one line, um, which is just 
but what 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 the, what am I supposed to do? Write another blog post? Our Secretary of State is the Exxon CEO. And I, I I thought that one line is just so perfectly encapsulates the the level of of, of, of true despair uh, that people who have been doing this for you know eleven years as, as as he has feel on this sort of issue right because it's like he's right like when I like when I, when I think about whenever I get sort of anxious I want to you know I want to find a way as you mentioned earlier to have my piece of fighting back uh, and you know I, given that. I like to at least think of myself sort of as a journalist uh, that often comes down to writing something else. And, you know, so but there aren't enough blog posts in the world that will stop Rex Tillerson from being the secretary of state. And that's terrifying. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, like, you know, Rex Tillerson uh, you know, is the CEO of ExxonMobil who during his confirmation hearings – repeatedly basically said, I don't remember anything about running Exxon. Go ask Exxon. Um, despite the fact that, like, no one no one believes him. And- well, so, I mean, we have to keep in mind, this is not just someone who filled the position of CEO, like, as if you, like, you know, it's some sort of uh, uh, reverse Midas touch, where as soon as you work for an oil company, you're therefore, you know, ah, you've been corrupted by definition. The, this person has never had another job in their entire adult life. He's been there for 40 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, he is Exxon. He's well, the CEO for for. for uh, he's worked there for forty years. He's the CEO. He's been spent quite a bit of time of that time as the CEO. Mm-hmm. Like he it, to to say that he there's now a separation between him and because he doesn't currently go to that building to go to his office is ludicrous. Well, and, he doesn't and, know anything else other than the business uh, from the point of view of the oil company and not yeah, and not even multiple oil companies. Just Exxon. This is a guy who has been at Exxon throughout the entire scandal of Exxon New. This is a guy who worked at Exxon in the seventies. When they knew that climate change was a thing, then continued to work at Exxon as they funded people denying climate change for the next 20 years. Which, which also means that he was not just that, you know, oh, it's like guilt by association uh, because he worked there and that company did something. Again, CEO. Yeah. He made that call. That was his decision to do that. Well, he went up with CEO was at, at the least, time when they're doing this. But he had to green light it or be involved in it. But it's not like it just sort of like happened like, hey, what do you want me to do? Like – you know what I mean? Like it's not it's, it's not a situation of guilt by association, which which I'm very cautious about doing. I don't like doing that. This is not a case of that. Right. Um, these aren't my exact words, but uh, I recently read an article and it was really funny. And the article said that appointing Tillerson as Secretary of State is exactly like appointing Ronald McDonald as Minister of Agriculture. And I thought <laughs> that, that was extremely funny because. It's true. I mean, your whole your whole adult life, you've been having this job and you only think from that point of view. And I see that not only from people that I work with, I see that even from the professors that teach me. You go to a business class, the professor teaches you in a business class manner, whether he's teaching you sustainability or he's teaching you how to read a balance sheet. Like, well, or I mean, or electing Stefan or myself, the minister of journalism in Canada. Like, sure, you might, you know, if you're listening to the show, you might like our bias, so you might be in favor of us having that sort of power. But to say that we wouldn't have bias <laughs> is insane. Well, it, of course it, I'd have bias. Yeah. Every environmental journalist in the country would immediately get like a, a, a wage, but, a wage. but but just because you agree with that point of view doesn't make me unbiased of course i'm biased that's nonsense to say that we wouldn't be well and, and i think the to presume that you know to, to, yeah i, I think uh, sabina's point is, is is very accurate that when you only have one you know this is someone who's worked his entire life to make exxon shareholders money 
and and now is being asked to 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 represent the American people, which he's you know, arguably worked largely against for a vast percentage of this time. And what's interesting is in, in his, in, none of that is the reason he won't get this job. That's the most ridiculous thing is that if, if he is stopped, it has nothing to do with the fact that he is big oil personified. Um, in his confirmation hearing, it, you know, there he got some pushback, which is lovely. Um, and and it's 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 still a little up in the air whether or not he'll get through. I think he probably will get through because I think you know I, I think this I think the Republican senators are still too scared of of the Trump uh, base basically to 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 fight back yet. I think they will eventually, but I think this is probably too early to to expect that. Um, but you know, it, during his confirmation hearing, he repeatedly. It, it, ignored questions about his connections with Russia. Um, he ignored questions about how he was doing business with Iran during the time there were sanctions. Um, and and it seems as if at least a couple, you know, Lindsey Graham, I believe is one of them, and, and Mark Rubio, uh, both sort of were a little more pointed in their in their attacks with them uh, with him. And he actually does need all Republican support if he can't get any Democrats, because the the Foreign Affairs Committee happens to be only one, only have one more senator on on the Republican side. So he actually needs all the Republican support if he can't get a Democrat. Um, and, I mean, and let's let's give credit where credit is due because we like picking on people, so we have to be we have to we have to say nice things about them when it's due. Uh, Rubio really went after him. Oh I yeah. Watched, I watched the tape. He was not fooling around. No, yeah. I think Rubio. I think Rubio felt like took all of the ingrained shame that he had built up through this the demolishing of his character that happened last year and just unleashed it on. You know what? Actually, person. that that actually makes a lot of sense to me. It kind of felt like he was like because I mean, I mean, he got slapped around by Trump. Right? Oh, for the entire time, yeah. So it I kind of felt like he was like sort of taking out all his rage. I think you're right. I felt. <laughs> I feel. I feel like he was taking out all the rage he's felt being completely humiliated by Trump over the last year, and he took it out on. On, on Tillerson, that's yeah. really that really feels like what was happening. Yeah, total so, conjecture. <laughs> um, but yeah, so these are like so to to close out this piece. These are you know. It looks like Rex Tillerson is going to, you know, is, is going to be confirmed. Um, you know, we yes, the United States government will get a bunch of money uh, from from uh, from VW, from Volkswagen and pay perhaps now from Fiat Chrysler for ignoring our emissions. But that doesn't take the emissions back out of the sky, right? There's no like that. And I, like that, I think that's the the final piece of this is that there's a level of just sort of like, well. What are we supposed to do then? You know, like we can't take this four billion dollars, and there's no way this four billion dollars that being that, that VW is going to be spent is going to be spent on you know sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. That's not what's going to be happening here. Um, and so uh, I think we'll continue with a little more depressing news as we move on to the second half. But I, we, we've got we we'll I'll tease that we do have some at least like some solutions maybe uh, at some point coming up. Yeah, actually, well, yeah, uh, one of our one of our uh, regular writers, not a listener, but somebody who's been been writing me a lot, requested that you. You know, we try and insert a little bit more action items when mm. possible or we do a segment on action items. So this is an easy one today because the interview we're doing at the end is this is something you can do. Yes. You have an actionable thing, even if it's just for your own sense of like feeling sane. Uh, we will have an actionable item for you on today's show. Yeah, possibly so, the first time ever. No, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, uh, I'm going to end with uh, the last three tweets uh from from eric um in in it just because i think it sort of sums up this uh, this bit of pretty well uh which is that climate despair on its own isn't bad you know it's a sign you care it's just hard to function when you feel the weight of the world crashing down uh the more we talk more i talk about my despair the more i realize other people feel the same thing and that makes me hopeful because we're more powerful than we think uh, I don't have an answer from where to go from here. That's why I'm in counseling. 
but the part but part of the answer is don't be afraid to talk. Uh, and luckily, you know, we have no problem talking. Nope. <laughs> Frequently asked to stop talking. Uh, this we have a guest tech this week. It's going to be Stephen. Stephen, would you be so kind as to uh, just at least let the listeners know what our music break is going to be? All right. Today we're going to be enjoying Ghosting by Vancouver, BC band Mother Mother as chosen by uh, CIUT's newest tech, Kai. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. If you're listening live, yes. if you're not listening live, you could be listening on one of our replay stations, which is one of our very appreciated community radio partners all the way across the country, now internationally as well. You could also be listening to this in an electronic form, which mm. could be uh, coming to you via Rabble. Uh, perhaps you're catching this uh, on the National Observer, or maybe you're listening to Green Majority's own podcast. If you are, you have a bonus show to look forward to. Uh, yes. And uh, I think uh, just with to f- keeping with last week's tradition of our, our, our special surprise guests getting to pick what we talk about, I have a prepared topic, but mm. Sabina just surprised, surprised mm-hmm. us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to Sabina. Sabina will decide what our bonus show topic will be this week. But if you are listening to, to us live, mm. uh, then, we get to, then we get to break news to you. Number two. For the second time ever. Do it second. Uh, at least in the last three and a half years uh, of my it's, – it's, both times it's been good news, uh, which, is, which I think is fun. The first time it was when uh, during – our show again it's very hard to have news drop between 11 and 12 on a friday like there's a many other hours that anything could happen so it's rare we get to break news uh but last time it was keystone when keystone xl got uh got stopped um or now probably paused sorry um and uh but this news is that uh the line nine uh, water protectors um who shut down the line nine uh some uh, earlier last year uh, or Last last year, generally, uh, the had their charges dropped. They were today, uh, so that's exciting. We should take that as a win. Uh, in after I spent the last twenty minutes being depressed, uh, that's an awesome news. Um, they were facing twenty five years or something like that uh, because they were. It was claimed that they were endangering lives by shutting this thing down. Uh, so it's good to see that not only is that you know it's it's one thing to sort of you know to not have to go through legal stuff anymore, but I think twenty five years is is really quite the you know that's that's a that's a heavy toll to put on someone. It's no joke. Um, it's no joke, obviously. Uh, so it's unbelievably good news that the charges were dropped, uh, and so yeah. And so one piece of good news in the show. But please, you are the you're the you're leaving this section. We let's not take too much time from the bad news. Stuff. All right, sorry. Let's go back to bad news. Let's, we have to keep our priorities in mind. <laughs> no, uh, well, just I mean, I just wanted to sort of mention here on an off on an offhand because I don't. Uh, I I, th- I think it really what we what we want to do if we're going to talk about this in any length would be to get an, an interview and whatnot. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about mention it just very quickly because I don't think I can do a good job if I dedicate more time to it. Uh, we, we will simply come back to it if, if we can. Uh, but I wanted to mention that uh, there has been a lot of talk about the Ontario uh, Power Generation, I think that's what it stands for, OPG, mm-hmm. um, and where to put nuclear waste. Because as uh, many people probably know, here in Ontario, we generate a lot of power uh, from nuclear energy, uh, much to the chagrin of some of our occasional contributors. Um, but the uh, the ongoing issue here is where do we put the stuff? And a lot of the a lot of the plans don't really have a good idea for that. Um, the shockingly, I mean, many people who haven't looked at this be like, oh come on, it, they have to. It can't really be that bad. That they have to have had some idea. Well, not really. A lot of the time, the waste was sort of put in a well. We'll deal with this later. Uh, we're going to dig a pit somewhere, and then we'll come back to it when we have a better idea. And they really haven't come up with one. So currently, the thing I just want to announce today is that they're. Now looking uh, to put uh, a sem- uh, nearly seven he- uh, 700 meter deep uh, limestone uh, host rock about 
1.2 kilometers from Lake Huron, which uh, happens to be the drinking water for uh, several million people, uh, to bury a whole bunch of nuclear waste, which uh, I believe, if I remember, only lasts like 10 or 15 years. Oh, wait. 10 or 15 lifetimes. Uh, it will be there. Um, yeah. So this is, I mean, as I said, I'm not an expert in this. And nuclear energy is not my uh, expertise other than the fact that I'm pretty sure that nuclear waste is bad for drinking water. Um, but it just sort of to like to keep an eye because like one of the things, one of the criticisms that is sort of said is that, well, you know, the, really the problem is that you don't understand uh, how that really the experts have checked. And this is, uh, you know, this is all fine. But as we keep coming back to with the, uh, I mean, there's, the issue with the the drinking water and uh, for uh, First Nations and pretending that there wasn't poisoning and I'm, I'm blanking on the grassy narrows. grassy narrows. Thank you very much uh, for going on for 30 years before finally they're like, look, we can prove it. Here it is. You have to do something. Uh, a lot of the time, it really is that bad. There really is nobody, you know, uh, sort of there. And when nobody is looking, people make easy decisions that are generally negative, but the negatives won't come up immediately, or they're pretty sure nobody will notice. And this isn't a matter of of politicians being evil. This is a, this is a matter of, um, you know, it's, in some cases, I might say some of them are, but it, it certainly it's not a like, oh, politicians are the worst. It's that there's a lot of really serious problems that we need to be dealing with. Climate change is the newest one, but this has been going back for quite some time. Nuclear waste is an ongoing issue that will maintain an ongoing issue, even if we shut down every every plant tomorrow because of all the waste that's been generated. Um, and it just it speaks to me to a much larger need to have a much more holistic uh, sense of how science interplays with policy, because the running theme on these and we can easily i don't even have to go there uh, explicitly you can use your imagination draw some parallels to climate change which is um don't worry this is really good for us in the short term and someone will figure it out later doesn't ever happen um, and we need to stop letting um, governments and companies use that argument that this will be we, don't worry we'll solve this problem later is not an acceptable answer. And I think that with with the understanding that I have of this issue, that's about all I can say about it for now. Um, but I will post the article. You can read more up on that as well. And uh, also, uh, we have an occasional guest whose name I'm also blanking on, but uh, the Ontario. Um, Sorry, the Canadian uh, – damn, what's the acronym again? Oh, Canadian, uh, Canadian Association for Nuclear Responsibility, mm. CANAR, um, uh, it has been the guest on the show. We've interviewed him in video format as well uh, to learn more about that topic. Uh, there are probably uh, a good number of people listening to this right now that are, that are pulling their hair out because they're much more and better informed than, than I am. I do apologize to them, but uh, for now, we'll have to leave it there. What I did want to spend a few more minutes on before we got to the interview was something that is – at face value, not very substantive. Uh, it was the fact, uh, other than the fact that it got a surprising amount of media attention, in fact, international media fact, uh, attention, and that was uh, Jane Fonda um, coming out and and basically saying that she was very disappointed uh, with uh, uh, Trudeau and was uh, very distressed about some of the climate change policy, very distressed about pipelines. Um, it was not surprising to me. Um, stars, Hollywood stars, are frequently sided with environmentalists. Uh, uh, many stars that I like very much uh, have done that. Uh, film directors, a lot of big names. But of course, we've talked about on this show before, Stefan, that um, just because somebody famous says something doesn't mean they're right. And it doesn't mean that you should change your opinion. You certainly under no circumstances should ever change your opinion because of who said something. 
Um, so what's the point? Now, the reason we're talking about this, A, was because I was surprised how insanely sensitive the government has been about – maybe they're all really big Jane Fonda fans and they were just really like personally hurt by this. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I didn't really think it's a big story. Like when I saw it, it was like, yeah, whatever. Like yeah, so did a bunch of other stars. And, and it's but, been happening consistently for the last 10, 15 years. And it's been years. happening consistently. But uh, Premier uh, Rachel Notley took this quite personally, it seems. There was uh, quite a debt backlash. She's given a number of comments. Apparently, uh, Jane Fonda was invited uh, to meet with the government so that they could explain to her why she's so badly misinformed and why Trudeau is really the best and how pipelines are really the best. Um, and there's two things I wanted to say about that. One is that yeah, who cares what Jane Fonda says? Uh, <laughs> the point is, it was in in her own words. They asked her, um, in fact, very pointedly. Uh, so I'm now quoting from the last two sentences of the CBC article. Uh, After the panel discussion, several reporters asked Fonda why Albertans should listen to a celebrity outsider. She said, quote, when you're famous, you can help by amplifying voices that people that can't necessarily get the press. So she was basically saying you shouldn't. Yeah. I'm just here so that you covered this. Ha ha. Well, that's the, that's what I find so funny about this is that is that this is the press attacking Jane Fonda for being there when they are only there because she is there. Like she's like in their existence to ask her the question. Well, why should we listen to you? Her like she is proving the, the entire purpose of her being at this event. Like it's not like like it's not like you know this is getting international attention. This is there. There's no way this panel gets anything close to this attention except for this one thing. And I love the idea of the press coming and being like, well, why should we listen to you? And, it's, and, and the answer is quite simply, that's not the point. The point is you just ha- sat through an entire panel you never would have heard about only to ask me why anyone should listen to me. Well, that's the, the only reason you're here. Exactly. And in this article, there's nearly four uh, four sentences uh, of quotes uh, from Athabasca Chippewan First Nation Chief Alan Adam. Uh, who's uh, blaming can- high cancer rates in his community on, on oil sands development uh, for four quotes, nearly four full sentences that I guarantee you would never have made it into print without her. <laughs> so, uh, and that's not, that's gotcha. not a good thing. Uh, like, no, not, but, but it's like, but it's proves the point that the media should be, uh, the media was covering this effectively. Then you wouldn't need Jane Fonda. You exactly. know, everyone knew the name of the, of, of this, of this person who was on the panel instead of Jane Fonda, then maybe they should go to a Jane Fonda screening. So people go watch Jane Fonda's movies. Um, but right. that's not how we live. So the, and the other really quick point, cause I want to, there's one more thing I want to mention before we lead into our interview. So just the last thing I want to say about that, uh, unless anyone else has any pressing comments, uh, was that the the line here, and you, again, you can read it for yourself. Uh, and uh, there was also an announcement that the Clark government uh, greenlit Kinder Morgan. So they, you know, somebody contacted us, a listener contacted us to say, uh, you know, when we were we were saying, oh, here they go in Kinder Morgan, saying, hey, hey, relax, you know, it's really it's Clark's decision, and and you. You'll wait and see. Now, I I don't mean this in any sort of an I told you so situation. I wished I was wrong. Mm. And the re- I'm, I'm not right because I knew better uh, or because I'm smart or anything like that. It's because my cynicism proved correct. <laughs> it was pure cynicism. And it, it turned out that my cynicism was justified, uh, not because I you know had better information or was making a better analysis in any way. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry to have been right, but it did go ahead. And, and really, at the end of the day, like what's going on here is that um, the government, and if you read the Clark article or if you read the uh, the, the conversation uh, w- regarding the, the Jane Fonda conversation, is that if you listen to like uh, Notley and Trudeau and all the climate ministers, everybody talk about, you know, this is their line and they're, and they're repeating it all very often. It's very politically, you know, this is how you operate, like create political messaging. So they do know how to do it when it serves their purposes. Um, 
despite my other criticisms about other ways that they might be able to use that strategy uh, to convince Canadians of, you know, the truth. But anyway, um, is this idea that Canadians know, Canadians know, Canadians know that environment and economy can go hand in hand. And I agree, it can. But what happened was that the Liberal government won a giant landslide, largely influenced by the fact that everybody agreed that Harper had to go. Uh, at the last minute, everyone seemed to agree that the best way to make sure that we didn't screw it up and that we definitely got rid of him was to vote for Trudeau. Then the Trudeau government comes in and says a bunch of nice things about climate change and develops a extremely weak nice sounding because it includes a lot of buzzwords that are good and a bunch of stuff that is legitimately good yes. uh, mixed in uh, uh, mandate that also includes committing to tripling the output of the carbon emissions from the oil sands and saying that this does not conflict with dealing with climate change because we're going to spend a tiny percent of and we're not going to be specific about how much money on on creating adaptation. But here's the problem is that they go and say Canadians understand this. And what they're saying is we have a mandate for this plan, but they developed the plan after they were elected. And the reason they were elected was to get rid of Harper. And so I'm concerned, A, because uh, I'm wondering if they're actually deluded into thinking that their opinion is actually supported by most Canadians. And it, it's undeniably supported by some Canadians. Mm. Um, but I'm really concerned that they're really, really overconfident of how many Canadians support their particular point of view. Uh, a, because I think there's a bunch of people that agree with them not taking a firmer stance on climate change because they don't believe it exists. And then the, they're counting on a bunch of people who did vote for them but now hate them because they can see through their uh, extremely inconsistent is about the fairest I can put it um, climate change policy. And and I'm really concerned that that we're you know looking at a repeat of a revolt. And they just assume that, oh, uh, you know, and basically the other parties get the message that, hey, climate change is a loser. Let's let's you know, let's he, I guess he got Dion after all. Mm. And let's stop talking about climate change when the r thing is, no, no, it's just that the, the majority of the people who actually care about climate change could tell that this was a nonsense plan that didn't make any sense and that it's window dressing. I think I, I think the, the the mandate that he has is pretty similar to his actual vote share. You know, I, I think he's probably. I think he's. I think about thirty percent of Canadians, honestly, you know, do believe that you can combine that you can have that you know price on carbon. That's good. You know, other stuff that's also good. And again, I will go back in saying that this that what Trudeau is doing is excellent policy for the early nineteen nineties. Mm -hmm. There, you know, to to trade. I under, like as as politics go to trade out oil. What he's given uh, to, to, the, to the energy industry for a national price on carbon is a very reasonable way of going about this politically if the, if this was 20 years ago. Obviously, we should have voted in Harper sooner so that he could have been universally <laughs> rejected sooner so that Trudeau could have done this in 1995. Well, I, I also think, yeah, at least also knows this is how long it takes to get people to understand the nature of these sort of things. But, I'll, I, but I think, you know, I do think that he has about probably 30% of the vote or of the people agreeing with him on that front. But I think what's interesting is that he's taking that 30% and understanding it's the same as his actual, as his, uh, you know, not, not to go back to voting reform, but like if, you know, in a first past post system, he's taking his first First past the post mandate, which is 50, 60, you know, up close to 60 percent of the seats as the real mandate that he's received, despite the fact that he's really looking at 35, 36 percent of the actual vote. And I think that's the, you know, I think some percent that's where you land on whether or not he's really making this. Yeah. case, And I, I think the important difference here is that of, of those people that agree with him, it's not that, um, you know, this is political difference. It's that they hear him talk about the investments that are going to be made and hear him talk about carbon plan and say, good, L therefore, 
you know, ipso facto, uh, climate change is dealt with. And anyone else who disagrees with this is just being irrational, just has an irrational hatred of pipelines and doesn't understand reality. When the reality is, is that a lot of this is smoke and mirrors. The goals that the targets that they've set for themselves and the commitments that they've made do not line up to their current policies. And those of us who are crying out of that aren't, aren't just simply like no pipelines under anything. Like, no, no, the math just doesn't work. Like those two things don't connect when you actually try and line them up. Um, and there's a whole bunch of people that just don't have time to look into that and are just assuming because he sounds so friendly and reasonable, which was exactly Jane Fonda's point, <laughs> which, which was stop being lured by, you know, slick talking pretty boys, um, is that when you actually look behind the mask, when you actually look into the details, none of this stuff actually makes sense. It is a plan. It is a plan that is going to be better than not having it unquestionably doesn't meet the required targets. The answer is no. Hmm. Um, so let's leave it there for now. Uh, sorry, we'll come back, uh, Sabina. I want to get one more quick thing, and we only have a minute before the interview, uh, which is just to mention uh, very quickly, because this plays into our, our next interview as well. Uh, we'll post the article for you to read. I'll just overview it very quickly, which was that the Department of Energy in the United States is bracing for Trump's anti-science agenda, announcing an internal scientific integrity uh, policy, which uh, – essentially codifies that uh, energy department scientists are able to express their opinions. Energy department scientists must get the opportunity to review department statements about their own work and energy department officials should not and will not ask scientists to tailor their work to particular conclusions. Additionally, scientists will be allowed to speak to the media under any circumstances, as long as it is being made clear that they do not represent their government or their office when doing so. Um, this sounds really familiar, uh, preemptive strike. Um, Will this last under Trump? Hard to say. Will this make it harder for him? And yes, I think it will because uh, it will at least make it much more public if he tries to uh, essentially attack this internal policy uh, rather than there not being a policy and him just sort of like putting pressure on people. I, th I think it all this does is it, it doesn't actually protect anybody. What it does is that if they if they are attacked, it will make the fight uh, the fight very public uh, because it's now conflicting with an official internal policy, um, and it will at least get some press, which could be enough. Uh, to back them off. How much? Who can say? Uh, I don't think we can say yet. Uh, but we're going to ask our guest when we come back from the break about that and more and about why he's been spending so much time on Breitbart, a terrifyingly racist, sexist, and a whole bunch of other bad words uh, website. Yeah. I don't even want to call it a news <laughs> site. A news site, yeah. a news site is, is, is less accurate. Um, we're going to be talking to Nathan Glenn Phillips when we come back, professor of Boston University, Department of Earth and Environmental Science, I believe, uh, from Boston. But uh, before we do that, we have another music break. Stephen, please let us know what we're going to listen to. All right, we'll be listening to a little more Mother Mother, this time a tune that I first heard back in Sudbury, Ontario, called Dirty Town. We are back. You're listening to the final section now of the Green Majority Radio show. Possibly you're listening on the podcast as well. If so, we have more content coming up for you. But if not, this is it. So get in your last bit of enjoyment. Uh, we're going to go now to our interview uh, which is uh, with uh, Nathan Phillips, who's a professor of Earth and Environmental Science at Boston University, which sounds very much in line with the show, other than the fact that we're going to be talking to him about Breitbart News. Um, are you there, Nathan? Yes, I am. Thank you. 
thank you so uh, so much for taking a little bit of time to talk to us today. We've been we've been doing a little bit of conversation here and there about this this ongoing concept of fake news. We had some other uh, independent media uh, organizations here in Canada join us recently to talk about um, sort of the the marketplace idea of. Uh, independent journalism, uh, you know, anywhere from us to to large organizations like you know some some local independent news here like uh, Rabble.ca or National Observer and stuff like that. But there is there is a dark side of it as well, and uh, and one of those uh, people is uh, Breitbart. And I think the reason why this is now an urgent issue was the founder of Breitbart News is now actually part of the American government admin and part of the official administration here uh and that puts i think a particularly fine point uh on the danger and uh you and a and a bunch of uh colleagues i guess we can call them uh known as the sleeping giants on twitter have found a way to at least in a little way fight back and i would like to start by just allowing you to uh explain the story there how did you get involved and in, and what is it that's actually going on yeah well first of all i'd just like to say that uh i'm speaking today as an individual and not a representative of Boston University, because the problems that I have with Breitbart extend both from the racist, sexist uh, types of things that they put on there to the science as well. Um, so it, 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 they're, they're um, spreading hate and misinformation in, in a variety of dimensions. But getting to the, the reason ha- or how I got into this was I had heard news about Kellogg, the cereal um, maker, and how they got out of, of Breitbart, and I saw that in the mainstream news, so I just wanted to check for myself who else is advertising on there, and to my surprise, I found that my graduate institution, Duke University, was had the banner ad there, and that really uh, made me uh, feel like I needed to do something, so uh, I tweeted at them, and, and fortunately, they got off. Uh, but that's how I came across and found the Sleeping Giant Twitter account. And so, uh, just to be clear for for listeners who maybe haven't uh, been a purchaser of ads before, we've done it very quickly. We did a test here, so I've been through that process. I know what that uh, what that is a little bit like. But just for the listeners, I mean, th- this this wasn't a case of of the university going and looking up Breitbart and saying, "Can we please give you some money to advertise on your site?" How does this actually work? Correct. These are called retargeting ads, and most of the companies don't even know that they're being advertised on Breitbart. So basically, your internet cache follows you around, based, and, and that's how the ads were showing up. Interestingly, when I pointed this out to uh, Duke, as well as other institutions and organizations, um, one of the first responses was, that's not really us, that's you. Um, but over time, we've seen that 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 um, response is no longer good enough because there's becoming a, there's awareness that's built now where companies are starting to realize that they have responsibility to think about where they advertise um, and, and social socially responsible advertising. I think that's a really interesting angle to it too, because it's. I mean, there's it's, there's one thing which would just be you know the university or somebody else or, or Kellogg's, as you said, you know, going to Breitbart and saying we want to advertise on your site. That 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 would be super easy. Uh, I, I think it. I think it is importantly different, though. Although I'm not sure how much as it changes it, as you just pointed out, that it's. Well, I mean, the ads are almost like only part of the site uh, at, at to the end user. It's it's that it's a combination of a bunch of different content that just simply gets presented on one page, and so. 
there I think there is an argument for the companies to say that you know plausible deniability or say well this you know it's not it, what do we have to do with it so I'm sort of surprised actually to find out that this has been to some degree effective can you talk uh, a little bit more about the effectiveness uh, aside from simply getting the university itself to stop advertising yeah so I think a couple of things there I I, I don't I want to uh, disparage or blame any companies for having advertising on there without knowing it, because most of them don't know it. But once they're informed, they have an easy route to make a change if they want to, and they can make a decision at that point. Um, so, you know, I think that's an important point to make. Um, the idea that on the Internet, social media and, and these kinds of things are just platforms and just neutral I think are is becoming a harder uh, thing to justify uh, in general. So, um, so I think that uh, you know it has been effective. Uh, I looked at the Sleeping Giant Twitter account, and there are over 600 companies and organizations and universities have blocked Breitbart from their ads now. So I think um, uh, Nathan, that there's there's two really big. Um issues here that I'm very curious to know what your thoughts are, because in this one case, I mean, Breitbart's easy, right? It's it's a cesspool of hate and fear and, uh, and, and you know, get having companies understand that, you know, are, is this really, like, really all you have to do, you don't have to make an argument, you just have to say, were you aware that your content was on this site? And most of them go, whoa. Uh, but, I mean, when we're talking about sites other than Breitbart, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit unsure how I feel about the idea of you know, the companies having to, okay, well, who else do they know? And where do they draw the line? Is it, you know, does it line up with their personal policies? And how does that line up with their customers? It, it's, it seems like, you know, Breitbart is a really easy answer. Uh, but if we start applying this in other areas, I, I feel like it could get messy very quickly. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I go back to a principle that is rock solid, and that's freedom of speech and freedom of choice. And you're not going to find a, a stronger proponent of that principle than me. So I think that can apply, that principle can apply to Breitbart, but it can apply to any website. And so Breitbart has the right to put hate speech there, and people have the right to align themselves with a headline that says um, birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. If they want to align themselves with that, they have the right to do that. Well, and I want to point well, out I, that you didn't make that up. That's actually that's actually a quote. Correct. And if you read the the text, the the, the actual story behind that headline, it's even worse. It's dripping with venom, and misogyny. But but there there is the principle. They have the right to spout that. People have the right to align themselves with that. But I have the right to call them out, and no one's actually come back to me among the trolls or whoever thinks I don't have the right to call them out. And companies have rights to make choices as well. So it's freedom of speech, it's freedom of choice across the board, and any website, I think that principle can apply to any website. We all have freedom. So when it, when we're talking about that, um, do you think this is something that uh, that should be done on a wide scale? Like, are you are you advocating uh, this type of action? Um, was this was this something that you think is limited? Should be should be and is currently limited to to Breitbart? Is the you know is, is this something you sort of maybe are, are encouraging listeners to go out and do, or just making them aware uh, that this is a possible tactic? Um, you know, a, a way to fight back. Would you would you would you actually advocate uh, people going and doing this? Well, this one is a focused campaign, and I, I really don't go out of my way looking for horrible websites. So I, I 
can't list a number of ones that are next on the list in my own head. I'm, I'm, I'm focused on this particular one. And, but the principle, you know, should apply. I, again, it's, it's, I think this is actually pushing socially responsible advertising and creating awareness that I do hope has more general benefits. And so um, uh, one of the other, I think, important things I wanted to talk to you about, of course, was uh, was the fact that this is incredibly off topic for you, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, one of the I, when I was looking at your CV, when it was uh, sent to me by uh, by our producer, I uh, m- the first thing that occurred to me was, you know, looking at just this wall of accreditations and you've been the, the lead researcher on a number of very important science uh, um, uh, areas that have to do with the environment. Uh, was it this seemed like an incredible waste of your time? <laughs> Uh, not, not in that it's not valuable, but it's like it's. It really made me sad that someone with your qualifications needs to spend their time doing this. Um, well, there, yeah, sorry, there is ahead. a little bit of nexus though, because Breitbart has also, you know, contributed to climate misinformation as well. Uh, so there is a professional aspect to this. Uh, so, for example, one of the stories that they put out was claiming that last year was the coldest year on record when in fact it was the warmest year on record. So so from a professional point of view and because some of my research is related to climate issues, I think that it's fair game uh, from a professional point of view to point out the misinformation that they're contributing uh, to. And would you um, would you add uh, would you think that there's another uh, like are there are there other sites that you're particularly concerned about that uh, that maybe could be looked at next, either by you personally or by the uh, anonymous uh, folks over at Sleeping Giants, or perhaps uh, our listeners if they're feeling like um, doing something productive today, if they're sort of depressed by the rest of the content we've talked about this week? <laughs> well, it's, there's the disinformation on this topic is 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 widespread on a number of different platforms. But what really bothered me was that the house. Science Committee was retweeting the misinformation that was put on Breitbart. So I think that we're in a time now, as you mentioned in your initial comments, in which this is melding right into our our, uh, our government and our, our political leaders. And so I, I'm looking at the pressure that we need to bring on our own leaders to stand up for science um, and and stand with scientists uh, rather than, than the misinformation that's being spread. And so the the last thing I think I'd like to talk to you uh, about is the idea of uh, well there's sort of there's sort of two micro things but it has to do with uh, again with the implications of this because my first reaction to to hearing that this was like yes something you know we can tell people to do and this is great um and there, but I had sort of two more questions which was i mean like legitimately regardless i mean we're not going to get anywhere near the the electoral college stuff or any of that stuff or popular vote and whatever the 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 end of the day however he won and however people feel about it trump won and enough people voted for him to uh win so my concern on the other end was was do you have any concern at all about this perhaps working the other way around uh and uh and trump folks seeing this as an opportunity to try and uh you know create a lot of intimidation around maybe people such as yourself or people such as ourselves you know a smaller independent uh folks who are maybe i mean we don't advertise on our website but uh you know, is, the, is there a concern that this might actually cut both ways, or do you do you feel that that most of the big companies that have a lot of sway are are probably largely on the on the right side of these issues, and and, and regardless of how many emails they get, aren't going to take ads off, you know, EcoWatch or something like that? Yeah, a couple thoughts on that. One is that Trump is going into his presidency with record low 
approval rating from the population at large. So the idea that she's going in with a mandate is not correct. Um, a, a, a small majority, a small, you know, relatively small group are approving of where he's at now. Um, and, and his picks have been horrible so, uh, for his cabinet. Uh, so the idea that there can be a reset, that's not being pointed out as well. Um, so, you know, I, I believe that silence is complicity, silence is acquiescence, and it's for the people who have the ability to speak out, like myself, I feel like it's important to do so. I feel, I uh, understand that other people in other jobs or positions may not have the freedom to, to speak out and be vocal in the way that I have, um, and I respect that as well. So we all try to improve um, the world as we, we see fit, and, you know, when it's comes down to science and what we understand about science and our, our world and, and climate change, um, I'm not going to be quiet about it. Um, so the other thing that I would just add is that there's one thing that we all agree on, including 75% of Trump supporters and voters, is the transition that we need to make to clean energy. Uh, and so I always want to tie uh, the message about the problems that we have in our with our climate to the solution, and that's something we can all get behind. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the uh, you know I've been like many other folks have been been glued to my screen for sort of two months now, um, and one of the th things I've been watching a lot of the clips with uh, Bernie Sanders town halls since the election, uh, and a lot of people going out and actually talking to these Trump voters, you know, who were, you know, it's you know the the normal dismissal or the the common dismissal was you know a bunch of uh, racist white men, but then when they'd see you know perhaps a, a black woman who was wearing a Trump shirt or something like that, journalists started being like, well, this doesn't fit the profile that we had. And they were going and talking to them. And, and one of the interesting things that I think has happened since the election has been an unprecedented amount of commingling of like actual people from these two extreme points of view are, are beginning to actually have conver conversations. And, and one of the things, I mean, aside from that just being good to do anyway, is that we've noticed is that a lot of those folks who voted for Trump, or maybe they didn't, but are, or would consider themselves, you know, part of the right, and maybe are a little bit skeptical about climate change, you know, whether or not, you know, that's a valid point of view to have. The, that's their point of view, is that a lot of them, you know, really agree, we agree on a lot more than I think we, we think we do. And I think that, uh, you know, regardless of all of that, that, that actually getting out and, and having these conversations and not just, I mean, you know, I, I don't think my show would convince any Trump voters, because I don't think they would listen through it, but actually going out and having a person to person conversation, conversation with them as opposed to here's a bunch of information I want you to accept because I said so um, may be the ultimately the the only way forward. I'll give you the last word on that, Nathan. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. The poster person on that thing for me is Debbie Dooley, who started the Atlanta Tea Party and is one of the strongest proponents of the transition to clean energy. So we do need to make those connections. It's, it's the one thing I think we can all get together behind is the clean energy transition. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, Nathan, it would be our pleasure to have you back sometime to actually talk about uh, earth and environment science. Thanks so much. Thank you for your time. Again, that was Nathan Phillips, a professor for the earth and environmental science at Boston University, who made it clear, and I will remake clear, was not making comments on behalf in any way uh, of the university. It was simply an, an interesting uh, connection that he, uh, of course, found his school's ads on uh, 
Breitbart. And we've got about, uh, oh, only about one minute left here. Uh, Sabina, I, I, I could easily fill that minute, but you had your hand up earlier. Do you, do you want to sneak your quick comment in here or do you want to save it for the bonus show? Uh, I think I'll save it for the bonus show. Okay. <laughs> so we'll, we'll recap a little bit uh, this week's news uh, as well. Uh, a fun story around Jane Fonda. I think the funnest part about it was it was how widely ranged that got. So you'll find links to that as well on the show. I also wish that I'd had more time to talk about a little bit about the Kinder Morgan issue. Uh, and of course, I wish I was better informed to be talking about the uh, the uh, nuclear waste issue as well. So if you're interested in those topics and were not satisfied with my coverage, please do check out the show post, which is at greenmajority.ca. You'll find links to all those stories and more. You can also do what a lot of people have been doing recently. We've Stefan, we've got a, a big uptick in listener uh, email. Which is always fun. Is uh, use the contact us, including we just had a former official negotiator for one of the cop, I won't say who or from where yet until it's absolutely confirmed, mm-hmm. uh, but an official cop negotiator from a non-North American, uh, uh, representing a non-North American country. Contact us asking to be on the program. That will probably be coming up soon, uh, which is awesome. I'm pumped. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back in a minute with a bonus show if you're listening to the podcast. If not, take care. Have a good green week, folks, and we'll see you all real soon. That was the main show for the Green Majority. You're now going to get into the bonus show. Sabina gets a little bit more time to talk today. She kind of surprised uh, me at the last minute that she was actually going to be available, so we didn't work her into the show as much as uh, as we had hoped. But she takes charge of the bonus show, which is coming up now. You'll hear that in one second. After I remind you that if you appreciate what you're hearing, you like the show, you can support us by becoming a member of the Green Majority. It's as little as $1 a month, and you can do that at Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Green Majority. Enjoy the bonus show. Hello and welcome to the Green Majority podcast session. My name is Sabina. I was here. I've been uh, MIA for the past six months, but I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back in the podcast and on the show. Um, so if you listen to today's show, which I'm sure that you did, unless you skip. We all the, know that everyone the, skips the right last to the end. one hour and just decided to listen to the podcast. But um, uh, Darren was talking earlier about um, Canada and how we're making policies such as the carbon tax, but then at the same time, we're giving the okay to to build pipelines and emit so much more greenhouse gas emissions than we we normally would even right now. And uh, another, an an article that was posted this week was uh, specifically talking about Canadian oil and gas companies and how their shareholders don't have, uh, sorry, their boardroom members don't have any climate change expertise, or it's basically very low in their in their agenda. So my main, when I first when I first saw that, my main question was, how prepared are these companies to have um, pipelines and have all of this oil pumping through when they don't even know anything about climate change in their in their top level management. Maybe they'll have a CSR team, maybe they'll have a sustainability team which gives them some credibility when they talk to their to their stakeholders. But how how prepared are they really to adapt to climate change and to adapt to a carbon tax? If you're if you're planning to impose a carbon tax or a cap and trade system uh, up to $50, but then you're also saying you can go ahead and build these pipelines. Will this just create another Volkswagen scenario where the companies feel like they're just going to have to cheat their emissions tests or cheat their cheat the system somehow to just continue making the profit because the pipeline is there? And th- this is my my biggest worry is are is our government giving giving these companies the okay to kind of cheat because they're it's it's either saying here you can make more profit or abide by our carbon tax and stay stay true to environmentalism. 
what do you think? Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think the, there's, the important, the interesting thing there is that there's multiple levels of questions there, right? There's the there's the accuracy of the government's targets. There's the honesty of the government to impose and, and use those targets. Then there's another layer, which is the company has the same questions, right? Is they are they do they understand the rules? Are they capable of following the rules? Are they planning to meet those rules? Once the rules do come into power, are they going to do it or find a way to cheat out of them? And if they do cheat out of them, is the government going to hold them accountable or or are they political friends? Like there's so many levels, and so. I mean, when it comes down to, and, and we have two people who I won't, uh, well, let them introduce themselves if they feel like speaking, but there's there's two for now silent voices in the studio with us. Uh, you know, one of the things I'm wondering is that, you know, for your average person who maybe isn't, you know, doesn't do this every week like, like, uh, like I do and doesn't read about this constantly, I mean, I feel overwhelmed with trying to sort all this nonsense out. Somebody who's like actually has a full-time job, which I don't, uh, you know, nine to five and maybe other responsibilities and a family and all these things. How the hell are they supposed to make sense of all this? I mean, it's 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 one thing to, to talk about from a technical, like logistics point of view about how you go about rolling this out, but that assumes also a certain amount of honesty and and that you're genuinely trying to reach these goals. You know, like the way that a scientist or an engineer would. Okay, this is what we need to do, and we're going to run tests, or you know, there's a there's a type of engine, and and it's not going to be marketable until we can get this type of fuel efficiency. So we're going to go 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 go. But for the rest of us, I mean, like someone says, oh, this is more efficient than that. Oh, okay. I don't know. I have no, I'm not an engineer. I have no way to analyze that. I'll take your word for it. I just have to assume that you're telling me the truth. I mean, you know, it's no, it's no wonder that, that people are ready to throw their hands up in the air and, and talking about like, you know, either on one hand voting in a, a crazy fascist and on the other hand being like, well, I don't know what we do left except for like physically go and block projects because it's not even that the conversation isn't going anywhere. It's that there is nowhere for the conversation to go almost because the people involved in it aren't even necessarily properly equipped to have that conversation. <laughs> exactly. I mean, for me, I, I read about this constantly as well, especially like from a business point of view, which is really interesting to me is that if the government, I mean, businesses most of the time, unless they're very rare or extremely rare, they're a bottom line type of thing. Like, are we going to make profit from this? So if the government has no clue about their strategies and their um, their strategy to mitigate or adapt to climate change, then the business is going to go business as usual until they can't anymore. Or if they can't anymore, they might end up cheating or, or hopefully they're honest, but we haven't seen that uh, as the case. So for me, the, these action items that we we keep talking about is to just get ourselves more aware of what it takes or go into a business that does that or go into a field that does that like um for me for me that's that's really really important to ask questions that are a little bit deeper than the surface level just because somebody says this is more efficient it might not necessarily be more efficient but of course we can't test everything sometimes you just have to be okay i i i'll do this because it's better i mean nobody can really know everything and we have to also ask ask companies to be honest and be transparent about what they're doing and i think that was what was really interesting about this article is that everything on climate change companies aren't being transparent they say we have an internal price on carbon what is it nobody knows and what 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 are you doing for that nobody knows so just saying we have this doesn't really let anybody have peace of mind like maybe be more transparent and let the government have a lot more Talk, talking to the people a lot more about why how they're doing it and why they're making those choices like why are you allowing a pipeline to go through and also putting a carbon tax i mean letting people know the real truth i guess 
Well, yeah, yeah. I think a really good point. This is Jennifer. I'm step, I'm just jumping in. Is there my question? Is is there like an auditor? Uh, you know, like an auditor type of environmentalist who, yeah. from the government that can go into these companies and and take take uh, 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 measurements and and accountability for for all of these businesses. Like that's a good. I don't know. There, the, the, usually there's a sustainability office. So like yeah. a G- GE or a mining company or something like that will have a sustainability office. And, and pretty much universally, I mean, from a cosmetic point of view, to their credit, <laughs> to their cosmetic credit, uh, almost all of them do. Um, but one of the things I've found, I, I've, I've spoken to a number of people who've worked, who work in that field, and it is soul crushing. <laughs> mm-hmm. because Not because they're not allowed to do any work. They actually do, like if you talk to them, most of them do really incredible work. Um, it's that it gets put in a folder and they get pat on the head and it puts on a shelf and, and it sits there. Right. So many of them like end up being completely soul broken. Many of them listen to this program. (laughs) And part of the reason they listen to this program is because they're absolutely soul crushed because they work all day coming up with these really interesting reports and finding really interesting solutions to problems. And, and they just get their head patted because the fact that they exist is their purpose, not the fact that they'll do anything or that anyone's actually going to listen to them or implement any of their strategies. It's so that every once in a while, when necessary, the company can point to them and say, look at all this great work these people are doing. Never mind the fact we don't listen to them or implement any of their ideas. And so it's, I mean, my, some of my biggest sympathy in this planet, you know, outside of obviously, you know, uh, uh, you know, First Nations communities, like whatever, but from like a more silly point of view, it's, it's all these folks who work in, in sustainability offices, because I mean, it's, it's, it's like having to design a machine that's going to be your own replacement. I mean, it's, it's soul crushing work. Uh, and I really feel bad for them. So, I mean, to answer your question, yes, but is it, does it mean anything? Arguably not. Um, it really depends, you know, <laughs> um, it's funny it was, Samina, when you were saying that it was, uh, about the, just the general idea of, um, uh, of, of these, uh, you know, the company's not really understanding even what it is that they're necessarily going to be doing for some reason. I don't know if this is even fair for me to say, but I would, it's the bonus show. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, is the first thing I thought of was like a bunch of men's rights activists sitting around talking about how life is how really hard for white men. <laughs> like, it's like, it's not that immediately it's not to say that anything they have to say is immediately disqualified as false is that they don't have any much of it is but is it but you can't just say everything that all of their opinions are untrue is that they're so completely uninformed about the environment in which those opinions sit that you can discount them immediately not because they're invalid by definition but because they don't have the first place to start of the actual context of what they're saying like it's they're all relative comments and they have no experience of anything else and so it renders their opinions meaningless and i feel like it's very similar to these things they can say well we're going to do this for climate change we're going to do that for climate change but if you don't have any actual metric or understanding of what the actual challenge of climate climate change is and and by what metrics we need to improve it by saying that you're doing this or doing that without having anything to line it up to and without even having the understanding to be able to line it up to something in the first place much less achieve that goal um i mean you're really just pissing in the wind i don't it's it's completely self-flagellatory if i can use that perhaps slightly made up word but i think you know what i was getting at um but i mean it's it's so it's sort of like so you kind of like you can you can see i think you can pretend and put your face against the bubble for a second and see okay 
from inside the bubble, from standing outside the bubble, I can imagine what it would be like to be inside your bubble. And therefore, I can have sympathy for you because I understand why you don't understand. But that doesn't make you right. And that doesn't mean that what your opinions are aren't horrendously harmful and, and offensive. And that was sort of what I was getting at with that correlation to like men's rights activists. And if anyone listening to the show is offended by that comparison, piss off. I don't want you as a listener. Um, but am I, am, I, am I super off base, Sabina? No, I don't think you're super off base. But that's actually making me really interested, um, making me think about something that I was thinking when you were doing the interview earlier about um, your guest saying that he believes in true freedom of speech and anybody that goes on this website can identify with that. But then the words on this website say that climate change is not real when that's been a proven proven by scientists that it's real. Like, I don't know if I, I mean, this is going to be really bad, but I don't know if I believe in freedom of speech like that that's just untrue you know <laughs> how can i allow that somebody just spits this unscientifically sound um words and then have other people identify with that when it's just completely untrue i mean i guess that's what he meant by i have the freedom of speech to say no to that hmm. but i mean when when you're talking about science-based things is there should there even be like a, a freedom of speech or a choice like okay you're a scientist you've said that you've done 30 years of training on that but i'm just gonna oppose you because i feel like it what well, i think and, and there's two two important notes on that which is that you know freedom of speech is is not actually codified in most countries right so that's that's a concept yeah. that we all adhere to but it's not actually legally defensible i mean it's the americans so have uh the first amendment but there are limits to that first of all you can't yell fire in a crowded building that is illegal they the state or the the, the state actor in this sense not the, the u.s state but the state the power that is the state you, you do not have the freedom to yell fire in a crowded building so there is precedent for in certain specific situations that you that you do not have a freedom of speech that being said when it comes to science, I mean, I don't think that imposing, trying to, because essentially what it amounts to is trying to force a point of view on individuals, and I, I think that's ill-advised, not because I, th as a conceptually, because we have the Trump problem. Well, okay, so if someone we agree with does that against opinions we don't like, cool, but what happens if Canada's Trump gets elected, and they decide that, you know, saying that women should be allowed to work is now hate speech? Right. So like that's that's where that risk comes from. But the problem is, and I think this actually comes to the, the situation before, is that the problem is not an individual's freedom of opinion. People can have whatever hideous bullshit opinions they want, uh, you know, demonstrable or not. The point is, is what the state can do in the same way that we should you don't allow the state doesn't allow people to all fire in a crowd the building. A government should not be allowed to propose a policy that demonstrably and and uh, quantifiably does not line up to its own targets right so if they say we're going to do this and here's how we're going to achieve it and it is it is quantifiably a doesn't equal b so a doesn't line up to b then they shouldn't be allowed to say that right mm -hmm. like and and i don't know how you implement that i i've proposed in uh, before a like uh super governmental which is it doesn't have any power and the government doesn't have any power over it but there should be some like legally binding connection between demonstrable, proven, you know, world recognized, inarguable science having an impact on public policy where governments just don't get to enact certain policies because it conflicts with known scientific fact. I have no idea how to do that, but I think I would be interested in that level of quote unquote, you know, limiting free speech, not of the individual, but of governments of, of you can't design a policy to ad address an issue that is not real. And you, and the other way around, you can't, 
you know, it shouldn't be legally possible for a government to build 50 pipelines if it is demonstrable that those will lead to harm. Right. right. And if you cast, maybe there's a court system, right? Maybe we have a bunch of Supreme Court. I, I don't know how the details work, but but I think when it comes to that is that, yeah, let's 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 not go anywhere near, you know, limiting individual freedom of speech. But when it comes to like what governments can do, I'm absolutely in favor of having some like you know, separate entity that just decides what is, you know, what is fact and what isn't, and that the government can make whatever policies they want, but they can't pretend those facts aren't facts. So I don't know. And that's exactly what I meant. I wasn't saying to like eliminate freedom of speech, the worst (laughs) thing in the entire world. I was just saying that if something is a fact, why are you refuting it? But then again, some really big genius could say to me, well, it's a fact now, maybe I'll make some, some new thing that, will refute this fact i don't know but for for me i was when you're clearly refuting something that's hard proven science or proven proven to exist or whatever then that's a little bit weird because if you just start to believe that gravity doesn't exist all of a sudden i don't know you're welcome to jump <laughs> you off can a cliff go and ahead test and it. do it i guess why not but i hope that not all of us start to believe that because of you yeah <laughs> but yeah that was basically what i was trying to say yeah. Any uh, anybody want to jump in on on freedom of speech real quickly before we wrap this up? <laughs> no. Ironically, no. <laughs> you're, 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 you, the freedom of speech also applies to the yes. freedom to not speak, uh, uh, not be compelled to speak. I think that cuts both ways. So Stephen Artek will possibly jump in uh, on another week. Um, last uh, sh- in, in coming in coming days, as I become more. Um, Informed with the issues that have been discussed today and sure to come up in the coming weeks. All right. Or you just, you know, take a play out of my book and just say whatever comes top of your mind and hope it sorts itself out later. But we'll work on that. I have a lot of practice making shit up as I go along. Uh, Last gig of the can, Jen. Nope. Satisfied. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you very much. And it was uh, really nice to have you back, Sabina. Well, hopefully we'll see you uh, more in the future. And thank you, the listener, for getting this far and dealing with our silliness and completely off topic discussions. Thanks so much. Have a good green week, everybody. And we'll see you all real soon.